Don't forget to tuck your shirt in. Don't wear jeans. Make sure you're wearing your belt. Make sure you've got your dress shoes on. Make sure your hair is parted. Those were just some of the words I heard from my parents as we were getting ready for church. And I am so glad we are a church where it's just come as you are. Because if we're not careful, we can be consumed with the outside. In fact, we still do that to this day. We, we want to appear to be spiritual. We'll be pulling up to church and we'll be driving and this is what we'll be bumping in our car. Right? Just, just rocking out a little bit and we pull into church and it's like, okay kids, everybody be quiet. We change the radio station to this. Right? Just to be spiritual. Kids, put your hands up. Both hands, right? And we part, and we turn off the radio, and it's like, kids, pretend that you like each other. And you grab your spouse's hand, and you're like, smile, and we'll hold hands, and we go to church, and if we're not careful, we can be consumed with just coming across as being spiritual, consumed with the outside. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage today. He's talking about the heart. Why? Because Jesus is consumed not with the outside, not with outward appearance. He's consumed and cares about what's going on in your hearts. So I want to invite you to do two things. Grab your sermon notes inside your bulletins and meet me in Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. One of the ushers will get one to you in just a moment. I want to give a shout out to those joining us online. So glad that you're tuning in today. Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 21. We're in a series titled The Greatest Sermon Ever, looking at the Sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as we realize that every single one of these areas that Jesus is teaching on is all about the heart. And so with that said, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin... Tear it out and throw it away. Hello. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Hello. And throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members 
than that your whole body go into hell. Heavenly Father, right now in this moment, would you soften our hearts that we would receive your word. God, we need you. We need your help. We need you to do heart surgery on us today. And so, God, whatever it is, whatever needs to change, whatever needs to take place so there's more of Jesus in our lives, have your way. God, I humbly ask that you would take over my mouth, my mind, and my heart, and that you would proclaim the message you have in store for your people today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, before we, we dive into this passage today, I just want to share just a few things on my heart. Um, today we're talking about uh, anger and lust. And, and for many of you, probably most of you, these are very difficult things to talk about, to hear. Because when you look at the hurt and pain in your life, you can trace it back to poor decisions that people made in a moment of anger, in a moment of lust. Words that were said that still leave scars today because of anger, abuse of some sort. Maybe you're a part of a family, maybe it was growing up, maybe it's the current reality, I don't know, but lust was birthed to adultery or something else, and your family has been torn apart because of one of these two areas. And so even as I'm teaching today, know that I'm, I'm praying that God would heal you and be real to you in a way that just encourages your heart. The second thing I want to I share is for, for many of you, again, maybe most of you, anger and lust are two just realities of your life right now. And these are, these are hard things to talk about. They're uncomfortable. Lust is probably the secret sin that we all want to hide and don't want to talk about. And so I, I just love you enough that I want to talk about these things honestly and openly. And there is still time in your life to deal with some of these things before there is just explosive damage to your life and people that you love. And so my, my prayer today is that as you hear these words of Jesus, you would respond in a way that honors God. And maybe for many of you, you experience freedom in ways that you haven't experienced in years. So let's just lay the foundation of, of Jesus. There's three points in your notes. Jesus' last verse in verse 20 said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the scribes, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the authoritative interpreter of God's law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. I'm not going to erase any of the law. Jesus has established himself as the authoritative interpreter of God's law. And we see this because he's God in the flesh. We see this because he's perfect. He's flawless. And he will say six different times in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. You've heard that it was said, but I tell you. Jesus is clarifying for all of us the standard that he has. And people got it. There was something about Jesus when he spoke where people stepped back and said, there's something different about the way this man 
and the way he speaks. At the end of chapter 7, after Jesus gave the greatest sermon ever, this is what it says. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. There was something different about Jesus. Why? He's the authoritative interpreter of God's law. Second of all, Jesus sees beneath the surface. Jesus sees those areas of our lives that, that no one else sees. He cares about that. That's why when Jesus was selecting a king of Israel, he said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. See, our lives are really a lot like an iceberg. We, we, we put our best foot forward. We want to impress people. And what does Jesus see? He sees everything else that's going on beneath, and this is what Jesus cares about. Jesus sees beneath the surface, but not only that, thirdly in your notes, Jesus cares about the motivation of the heart. Jesus cares not just about what we do, but why we do it. I want to say that one more time. Jesus cares not just about what we do, but why we do that. And Jesus is going to address that in chapter 6. He's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about fasting. He's going to talk about giving. Not just what we do, but why we do it. He's all about the heart. And he's going to go after a couple commandments in chapter 5. He's going to talk about us keeping our word and oaths. He's going to talk about real genuine love. Why? Because Jesus cares about the motivation of the hearts. Why is this so important? Because the teachers at this time, the Pharisees, the scribes, the rabbis, they really didn't. They're all about outward appearance. As long as we can fool other people, as long as we can look spiritual, as long as we can fool our neighbors, our friends, whoever, here's the reality, friends, and I, I, I say this, we can't fool God. We can maybe fool our spouse. We can maybe fool our kids. We can fool our employer. We cannot fool God. And God's going to clearly lay out through Jesus the expectations of what it means to live a life of true godly righteousness. And we're going to look at two crimes of the heart today. First of all, in your notes is point one. It's, it's the heart of murder. It's the heart of murder. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. You've heard that it was said. This was the teaching of the scribes. This was the teaching of the rabbis. You've heard that it was said that all you need to do is, is not kill somebody. Again, as they were thinking and teaching and saying that as, as long as you don't do that physical act of murder, you're good. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much more than not just committing adultery or murder because here's the reality. Beneath murder is a heart of anger. It's not just about not killing somebody. It's about having this heart of anger. Jesus goes on and says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Beneath the heart of murder is a heart of anger. And what does Jesus do? He equates anger with murder. How does he do that? He says, you've heard that it was said, if you murder somebody, you're liable to judgment. Jesus is saying, but I tell you, if you're just angry with somebody, you're liable to judgment. Now, this anger isn't just this righteous anger. It's this selfish anger. It's this anger that refuses to forgive. It's this anger that's consumed with self. It's this anger that's filled with bitterness. 
It's an anger that will say, I haven't talked to so-and-so for 10 years kind of anger. We know the, the damage that can be done when, when this anger isn't dealt with. What, what happens when, when people get angry most of the time? We throw things, right? Think of a two-year-old. When they don't get what they want, what do they do? They throw their toys. Ten years ago, it wasn't one of my finer moments. I was angry, and I remember walking down the hall of um, our house, and I turned to the bedroom door, and I was angry, and I did one of that, and I put both of my hands through the door. I was so embarrassed, and I said, told Kelly, uh, I've got a little bit of a problem, and she looked and said, yes, you do. Uh, and I remember going and getting a bunch of putty, trying to fix it, and we rented this house out later, and people asked, uh, what, what happened to the door? Boy, you talk about a humbling experience. We, we throw things. And if we don't throw our fists, you know what we, we most of the time do? We throw words. We throw words. I mean, and think about the last person that has had road rage. Speak, bro. Think of the last time you had road rage, right? What was the first thing you did before you cut off the person? You started saying something. I'm not sure what it was like. Uh, maybe it was a little something like this, you little... <laughs> hopefully not, right? You know, yay, you... You know, hopefully not, right? But, 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 but words are what happens. And Jesus says, hey, if you're angry, you're liable to judgment. But then he goes on and says, there's, there's two things that you throw out. The first thing that you do is you deface a person's name. It says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Some translations say, whoever says Raka is guilty to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the, the Jewish council, 70 different people. If you simply said Raka, which is an untranslatable word, it, it means you dirty little scoundrel, you worthless piece of garbage, but, but, but you're, you're being rude, you're being critical from a heart of angry, anger, you're, you're liable to the Sanhedrin. But he takes it a step further and says, if you say, you fool, you're, you're, you're basically, he says, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Why, why fool? Why was that such an important illustration for Jesus? Because Jesus was saying this word fool literally meant, you know what? I'm going to defame your name. I'm going to defame your character. You're better off dead. I wish you weren't even alive. And so Jesus, again, is saying, you know, it's not just about not killing somebody. It's about having this heart of anger. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, is all anger wrong? No, absolutely not. There are times when we should be angry. In fact, Ephesians 4 said, in your anger, do not sin. Jesus had a righteous anger. When Jesus was at the temple and they were using the, the temple to rip people off, he turned over tables. There was this righteous anger. There should be times in our life where we get angry. When we look at the sin in our life, it should anger us. When we see all of the unborn babies that are getting murdered in our country, it should anger us. When we see that schools don't allow faith and Christianity onto the campuses, it should anger us. There are certain things in our life that should anger us. The anger that Jesus is talking about is a selfish anger. This anger that's focused on self that, that maybe bleeds over from jealousy, not getting what we want. And if it's not dealt with, there can be radical consequences. Go ahead and check out this video clip. Pizza Planet? Oh, cool! Go wash your hands and help Molly ready. To bring some toys? You can bring one toy. Just one? One toy? Will Andy pick me? 
it. Oh! Buzz Lightyear! Buzz Lightyear, thank goodness! We've got trouble! Trouble? Where? Down there! Just down there! A helpless toy! It's, it's, he's trapped, Buzz! Then we've no time to lose! I don't see anything! Uh, he's there! Just... just... He's looking at the Poor Buzz. Yeah, I think about what, he, what was he doing. He was scheming. Why? Because there was this jealousy that, that bled into anger. And so we see this, this beneath murder is this, this heart of anger. And here's, here's the key. To be right with God, we need to be right with others. Jesus goes on in these next couple verses and said, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. In other words, we can't authentically worship God and be wrong with other people. And I love this because Jesus doesn't specify and say, you know what, if, if it's your fault or if it's the other person's fault or how long of a season it's been, he just says, when you go to worship and you realize that there's something between you and somebody else, if that person has something against you, leave your gift, go get right with the other person, and then come worship Jesus. And here's what this looks like in my own life. This isn't just a, a weekend activity for me. Um, daily, as I'm, I'm reading the scriptures, so I'm at home or in my office, and if I realize there's, there's something between me and somebody else, um, I'll send a text message, I'll make a phone call. And most of the time when I do that, just to be super transparent, it's to my wife. And I'll be like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry about last night. Sorry I got frustrated. Sorry I wasn't patient. Sorry I acted like a jerk. What it, whatever it is, because I know for me to authentically worship Jesus, I have to seek to be right with others. And Jesus breaks this down in two different ways. He says, first of all, here's the action steps in your notes. Seek re reconciliation. Seeking reconciliation. We, we can choose to be right with other people. And it doesn't mean that everybody else is going to be right with us. But Jesus is saying, hey, go out of your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then offer your gift. Romans chapter 12 says, as, as far as it is possible, as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So taking time to, to, to be right with people. And I love how Paul says this about taking communion in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says that we need to examine our hearts and lives before we take communion to make sure we're right with God and make sure we're right with others. We have to be Reconciled. So we're seeking reconciliation. And then second of all, in your notes, admit when you are wrong and make things right. There are, there are times in your life where you have offended somebody else and you know it. Jesus uses this uh, phrase, accuser, twice. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Why? 
Well, in that context, what was happening is when people would go to court, there was still this moment, there was still this time frame where people could get right with one another, where it wouldn't go to the judge. And they were still able to work things out. They were still able to reconcile. They were still able to ask for forgiveness. But once it went to the judge, it would be out of their hands. And if the judge sentenced them guilty, they would have to go to prison until they paid the last penny. So when you are wrong, admit it and make things right. Now, here's, here's the opportunity for us as followers of Jesus Christ. There's going to be times in our lives where people close to us are angry. And we can either pour fuel on that fire and encourage them to become more angry, or we can listen and help diffuse it and help them to reconcile their relationship with somebody else. It may be you just sitting in a car and somebody next to you is talking like this. I'm angry. I'm, I'm spitting angry. I'm like a tornado of anger swirling about. My heart rate is dangerously high right now. So when they talk like that, we make sure we don't laugh at them, all right? <laughs> but, but, the, but we will either be people that will encourage people to become more angry, or we will encourage people to be reconciled to other people. First, we see the heart of murder. Second of all, in your notes, we see the heart of adultery. The heart of adultery. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 says that the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And yet Jesus says it's, it's so much more. Because here's the reality. Beneath adultery is the heart of lust. Jesus sees what's going on. Again, these scribes, these Pharisees, these rabbis were teaching, as long as you don't commit the physical act of adultery, you're good. And Jesus says, no, it's so much more than that. Like, like you, you need to realize that if you've committed this act of, of lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart, which should make all of his listeners realize that every single one of us need Jesus. Like, just because we haven't went out and committed that physical act doesn't mean that we're any better than anybody else, that we can't save ourselves. It's not just about living up to the law because we can't do that. Every single one of the listeners during this message that Jesus was giving should have realized their brokenness and their need for a Savior. And yet so many of them went off and kept living life according to their own strength and their own power. Beneath adultery is the heart of lust. Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I love that Jesus says everyone. Because this is for males and this is for females. Looks, in the Greek, it's not just a quick look. It's, it's a gaze. It's so much more than that. You, you see people where they give a quick look and then they turn back. Lots of times people will say, if you look once, it's okay. If you look twice, that's a problem. And, and he says, lustful. What, what is that? It's, the, it's craving. It's wanting the object of what you're looking at. And so if we're, we're lusting after anyone that's not our spouse. What is Jesus saying? He's saying it's clearly sin. It's adultery in your heart. And here's, here's what... Jesus says, and this is what's key, extreme action is needed where the heart is not right. So this is a do-whatever-it-takes attitude. In fact, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said in the next couple of verses, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That's extreme. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, why the right hand and the right eye? Was Jesus saying that, that people should literally cut off parts of their body? Absolutely not. This was a hyperbole, extreme example to prove a point. We use it all the time when we say always, never. My daughter just a couple days ago said, Dad, I need a snack or I'm going to die. <laughs> and it's, that was a hyperbole. Anytime when somebody says it's so cold out there that the, the polar bears are wearing jackets, right? That's not true. It's a hyperbole. It's making an extreme point. Now, why the right hand and why the right eye? I mean, if somebody cut those off, you could still lust with your left eye. You could still use your left hand. The right eye and the right hand were of extreme value in the Jewish culture. And so Jesus is saying it doesn't matter how valuable it is. If it's causing you to sin, get rid of it. And so what are some practical examples of that? Let's just... Let's just let's be real, real practical for a moment. If you're in a relationship with somebody that is not your spouse, cut it off and get rid of it. If you're in a habit of looking stuff, or you've got stuff at your house that is filled with lustful stuff, if you've got porn, if you've got novels you read, if you've got videos, whatever, get rid of it. Jesus is saying, do whatever it is takes to get rid of the sin that's in your life. And I, I want to encourage you with six, six things that we can do to be super practical, six action steps. And these are all choices. And, and here's why this is so near and dear to my heart. Um, lust, um, specifically pornography, I believe lust happens in so many different ways. It could be novels that you read. It could be TV shows that you're watching. Most of the time, it's internet pornography. That's, that's our culture. This is the, the secret sin. This is the silent sin. It's, it's, it's tearing families apart. It's, it's, it's ruining individual lives. And, and again, I just, I just I love you enough. I want to be super practical in a way where you can experience freedom from whatever lust is in your life. Six things. Number one is... Choose to be honest about your weaknesses. Choose to be honest about your weaknesses. This is being honest with God. It's being honest with yourself. Some of you have never been honest with yourself about the fact that it's a weakness. I believe the greatest choice that we can make that will destroy our life is to look at an area of our life where there is sin and say, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Why is that so dangerous? Because sin never satisfies. It always wants more. Lust will always want more. Lust is never satisfied. So for us to look at an area of our life, specifically where there is lust, and say it's not that big of a deal, it's not going to stop there. And if it doesn't stop there, look where it's going to end. First thing that we need to do is be honest about our weaknesses. Second of all, be willing to do things you have never done before. To take extreme measures. Because again, we, we buy into this lie. It's not that big of a deal. Nobody's going to find out. I'll delete my history. And yet, our culture, not, not, not just the scriptures, our culture is now coming out with more and more research on how damaging pornography is. There's a website out now called fightthenewdrug.org. 
And it's all about the battle on pornography. And it's not a Christian website. But it, but, but it talks about just the scientific reality that pornography is as addictive as tobacco. It's, it's more damaging. Some of these uh, statistics and research are saying it's more damaging than cocaine. That, that your brain literally gets rewired because there's this chemical that's released every time you look at pornography called dopamine. It rewires your brain. It's so addictive where it constantly wants more and it's not satisfied. And people say, well, you know what? It's just not that big of a deal. Here, here's what research is saying. It's extremely addictive. It impairs memory and concentration. It numbs you of other pleasures of life and real sex and marriage. It increases sensitivity to stress. It literally shrinks your brain. Research has shown that viewing pornography literally shrinks the gray matter in your brain, which is necessary for cognitive thinking. It causes depression and low energy, and it allows you to become susceptible to more risky sexual behavior. It leaves you feeling lonely. It hurts marriages. It damages relationships. It hinders sexual intimacy. And I think a lot of people will say, you know what, but man, I just, I, I want to experience sexual fulfillment. That's what God wants for you. And that's why God created a husband and a wife, a male and a female within the context of marriage, because God said that is the only place where you will experience lasting and joyful sexual fulfillment. Everything outside of that is sexual immorality, and it's wrong in the eyes of God. So God's not against you. He's for you. He puts boundaries because he knows what's best for us. Thirdly, in your notes, establish boundaries. Establish boundaries. And here's what somebody taught me years ago, and I've, I've really tried to adopt this, and I believe that that's happened to me. He, he said, Jeremy, I don't go about life thinking it could never happen to me. I go about life thinking it could happen to me. He said, Jeremy, whatever it is, drugs, it could happen to me. An affair, it could happen to me. Addiction to pornography, it could happen to me. So that's been my mind frame moving forward is it could happen to me. It, it could happen to me. Say that with me. It could happen to me. And because of that, we establish boundaries. Now, now what does that mean for me just practically? Uh, I, I, I try to establish boundaries because it could happen to me. An affair, it could happen to me. Pray it doesn't. I love my wife, but what do I do? I establish boundaries so I won't go anywhere in my car alone with a female. Besides my wife, maybe my mom and my daughter. I'm not going to be out at lunch alone with another lady, even somebody that I work with. Uh, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to meet my office behind closed doors with no windows. With, with a staff member, somebody from the church, I've got an outer office intentionally with large windows that are always open if there's a female in, in that office, and my assistant will always know who I'm meeting with. Like, I, I have to establish boundaries. Here, here, moms and dads, here's, here's another one. It, we can't just say it can't, could never happen to us. We have to say it could happen to us and it could happen to our kids. I've talked to so many moms and dads that have come to me and said, my, my, just found out my kids were, were looking at porn. Every single one of them were so shocked. And so I just want to encourage you. There are so many people that love Jesus that struggle with pornography and lust. It could happen to our kids. So what do we do? We protect them. It could happen to Hallie, who's eight. It could happen to Drew, who's 11. So, so we protect them. We set up boundaries and guardrails. And here's the next thing. Eliminate potential temptations in your notes. 
eliminate potential temptations. And uh, let, me, let me just share what I do in my own life so that I, I won't be tempted by pornography because, again, it could happen to me in, in, in lust, not just boundaries. Um, I've got uh, my computer. Um, my computer has accountability software on there. It has blocks on there, so I can't look at anything. If it does, the, the church has accountability stuff. My phone. Uh, I use Covenant Eyes. It's great accountability software. If I look at anything inappropriately, an email is sent to my wife. Hello. <laughs> Can we just get real here for a second? <laughs> Fellas, it makes you think twice about what you look at, all right? That has, been, that has been great for me. Our television, there are certain channels that we don't even have access to. Home computer. Um, we've got uh, Covenant Eyes on there. In fact, my brother-in-law came over to, to work on our computer years ago. And he said, what's, what's all these, like, blocks on here? Is this for your kids? I'm like, uh, yeah, it's for my kids. And I said, no, you know what? It's so that I will not be tempted to look at pornography. Just trying to be real honest and transparent. And I've set up boundaries in my life because I, I need to. I don't want to deal with a temptation. So one of the wisest things we can do is eliminate the temptation. And that's going to be different for all of us. But that's where we just have to humble ourselves and be super, super honest. Um, television. Books, Instagram, some of you. Let's just get real. You're watching Game of Thrones. It's, porno it's pornography. There, there are certain shows that leaving here today, it's scratching an itch that you know is wrong. Fifthly, in your notes, create accountability. Create accountability. What, it, what is accountability? It's, it's a friend that you can have honest conversations with. It's somebody that will, you can say, hey, I'm going to sign up for this accountability software and it's going to send you an email if I look at anything appropriate. Will you be my accountability partner? It's somebody that will ask you the questions that you don't want anybody to ask you, but you need them to. And so, again, in my, my own life, just being really transparent, I've got a couple friends in my life that will sit down with me and ask me, Jeremy, how's your heart? How's your marriage? What are you doing to love Kelly? And it gets deep. Jeremy, have you looked at any pornography over the last week, the last month? Jeremy, is there any lust in your heart? Jeremy, are you drawn or attracted to any other woman than your wife? Jeremy, is there any sin that's, that's just kind of birthing in your life? Is there any lust in your life? I just, I just need people that will love me enough that will ask me those questions. Why? Because it could happen to me. I want to put up walls and I want to get help so it doesn't. And then lastly, and this might be the most challenging one, is, is ask for help ask for help. It was uh, two weeks ago. Um, our, our bathtub upstairs where the kids use it, it had been dripping for months and it started dripping more. And my wife said, can you please fix the dripping faucet in the bathtub? And I said, sure. And so I went to Home Depot and I had taken it apart. And I'm, I'm not much of a handyman. You guys know that. Turn the water off. And I, I was confident like this bathtub, I was going to own it like a boss. You know why? I watched like a hundred YouTube videos. And I'm just like, you know what? Everything that could go wrong, I've got it memorized already. I was confident, turned the water off, took the whole thing apart, went to Home Depot, and I'm like, I know what I need, a couple washers. And they're like, we don't sell those here. And I said, okay, no problem. I'll go to Orchard. See you later, right? So I went to Orchard, and they're like, we don't sell those here either. And it was 9 o'clock at night, and no other stores are open. So I'm like, all right, I'll just put it back on, and I will fix it tomorrow morning. So I put it back on the best way that I could, and 
feeling pretty confident what could go wrong. Went downstairs, turned the water on to the whole house, and went back upstairs, and water was spraying everywhere. <laughs> and so everybody was asleep in the house, and I ran downstairs like a ninja as quickly as I could. I turned the water off. 9.30 at night, I whispered in Kelly's ear. She's asleep. I said, hey, the water's not working anymore. I had to turn it off. So if you have to go to the bathroom, the toilet's not going to flush. Um, and I, I got a, a plumber coming out the next morning, and he was going to take care of it. Here's what I realized. There are two areas that you do not try to fix yourself. One is plumbing. The other is electrical, right? One will flood your house if it's not done right. The other will start a fire, right? And so those are two areas that you have to ask for help because if you don't, and there's flooding, and there's a fire. It will cost you even more. I will not ask you to raise your hand if you know that from personal experience. <laughs> Two areas of your life where you need to ask for help. Because if you don't, it will cost you even more. It's the, the issue of anger and the issue of lust. Some of you are here today and you are in a situation, you are dealing with a reality where you have no idea how you got here. You didn't realize what one text message would lead to. One click on the computer would lead to. One novel would lead to. One innocent hello would lead to. And yet today God offers you freedom. He offers you forgiveness because here's, here's what we know and here's what we can be confident in. In your notes, two things. Here's our confidence that Jesus heals beneath the surface. Jesus heals our hearts. He forgives our hearts. He gives us new hearts. He gives us literally new desires. And some of us, again, if we're honest this morning, we, we come to church and we worship Jesus, but, but we're craving lustful stuff inside. God has the power to give you a brand new heart if you want that today. And here's the second point in your notes is this, is that Jesus gives us a second chance. Today is the second chance for you to go right with Jesus. Today is the second chance for you to go right with your spouse. Today is the second chance for you to fill in the blank and experience a freedom that only comes from Jesus. Now, I've had several people over the years come to me and tell me, hey, I struggled with pornography, or I am addicted to pornography, or I'm involved in a relationship I, I should not be in, or you fill in the blank. And here, here's been my response every single time. It's not a critical spirit. I don't get angry. Don't look down on people. I just love them. Just help them. Same thing I would do, the same thing our staff would do for any single one of you. And so here, here's what I want you to do, and I want everybody to write this number down, if you would, please. One last thing to put in your notes is, is write this number, 353-9070. Down in your notes. 353-9070. Um, if you are struggling with an area of of lust, pornography, sexual addiction, maybe it's even anger, and you're a guy, just text guy. If you're a gal, text gal. And one of our staff will help you this week. We'll just call you, and we will, we will help you 
begin this journey of freedom. This could be the most challenging text message you ever send, but this could be the most freeing text message you will ever send. Love you guys, and we just want you to experience a freedom that's only possible with Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Jesus came so that we could have life and life abundantly. God, and there's several of us right now in this moment, we're not experiencing that. We're not experiencing that because of we've, we've allowed anger to take root. We've allowed lust to take root. And so God, right now in this moment, uh, the best way that we know how, we're, we ask for help. God, would you, would you help us? Would you purify our hearts? Would you give us the courage to tell somebody else? Because you already know, God. It's not a secret to you that we would experience the freedom, the grace, and the newness that only comes from you. So God, as we leave here today, would you encourage us and keep us focused on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.